On December 26, 2004, the third largest earthquake ever recorded, in fact, it's the longest earthquake in terms of duration ever recorded, hit right in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And, and when this hit the day after Christmas, it created a, a tidal wave, what's known as a tsunami, that went forth and hit 14 different nations there in that South Pacific region. Over 250,000 people were killed as a result of that tsunami. It's, it's one of the, the, the most tragic natural disasters uh, to happen in, in the modern age. And a few weeks after that tragedy hit... I got a call from a man named Soup Campbell. You may have heard us mention Soup. I was in a Tuesday morning discipleship group with Soup, and he called me and said, we're going to Indonesia. We're leaving in two weeks. Do you want to go? Well, when Soup says, do you want to go, it's not like, hey, let me think about it. And I'll call you. No, he assumes that you're always on the ready. You got your passport ready. You're ready to go. So it was pretty much a right then, right there, I'm in. Let's go. So the next day he ordered tickets. The day after we had a team meeting at his house. And I remember Soup sitting at the head of the table. And he tells us, he said, this trip's going to be different from any you've done with me. And I've been on a few trips with Soup before. He said, we can only take 17 pounds. That includes all your food, your tent, your sleeping bag, because we're sleeping on the beach. So basically no clothes. You're just wearing what you got. Everything else you're packing to survive. He said, this trip's also going to be different because there's still pulling bodies out. So be ready to see some things you haven't seen. He said, this trip's also going to be different because we're going to an area of the world where Westerners haven't been in over 20 years. You see that Indonesian island area known as Aceh land had been in civil war for 20 years. And they had ceased the civil war to allow relief work to come in. And Soup said, I got to tell you this too. In Aceh land, it's a capital offense to share the gospel. And then he told one, know this. If these people haven't heard the gospel, the Lord gives opportunity, I'm going over there and I'm scattering the seed. I'm going to share the gospel with whoever the Lord allows me to. And he said, second, I'm planning to come home. Now for me, that's the only time in my life where I've ever had to ask myself this question. What I believe that I believe that, that humanity is sinful, that we've all sinned, that, that we're all, uh, we can't save ourselves, and that we are to repent of our sin, call it what it is, and turn to Jesus and trust him. And that Jesus, according to scripture, he is the way, he's the only way, he's God's provision to be made right with himself. What I believe, am I willing to give my physical life for it? It's, it's the only time I've ever had to process that in, in, in any way. And as I look at Scripture, I see Paul processing that question time and time and time again. Because for Paul, it was a, a reality of his life. He could walk into a new city to come share the gospel, and as often happened, he would be physically beaten, physically left for dead. He was asking this question over and over and over again. We hear it in his, in, in his writings in Philippians 1.21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. He says in Acts 
Chapter 20, verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. This was Paul's view of life. And today, in our uh, verse for today, Galatians 2.20, it's one of those verses where Paul is talking about what does it mean to live, what does it mean to die, and in this, what we really see is He's not so much dealing with these big events where I'm going to go lay my physical life down for Christ. Here's what he's really going to deal with today and where it comes home for all of us. As he's talking about every single day, those moment-by-moment decisions, the tens of thousands of decisions that we make every single day. In those decisions, will you die to self and live for Christ? You see, it's a daily death that Paul was talking about living. So if you would please stand for the uh, quoting of our scripture today. We're in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. If you're new here with us, we've been in a series called Hidden. And what we're doing um, here at Harvest, we believe the Bible is true. We believe this is God's word. He's given it to us. He's given it exactly as he wants us to have it. And it's uh, true. And, and we believe to hide it in our hearts is useful and for our good. So this week we've been memorizing Galatians 2.20. If you'll say it with me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. Paul's writing to the Galatians here. That's what book we're in. We're in Galatians. And on Paul's first missionary journey, he went up to an area of the world known as Asia Minor. And when he went up there, he planted a group of churches. And after that first missionary journey, he wrote the book of Galatians. It was written to a region of churches. Most scholars believe this is Paul's earliest letter he wrote. It's also known as his most severe, his most harsh letter. He's writing to protest preachers of a false gospel. Now, Paul will write and protest those who preach false religion, who preach a totally different religion. But what gets Paul really upset? What gets Paul's blood boiling? What gets him angry is when someone says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not. When they say this is the truth and it's something else. And that's what's going on in Galatians. There are preachers preaching that we are saved by Christ plus works. Religious practices. Efforts. Things that we do. And scripture teaches no. And we saw this last week with Antonio's message in Ephesians. That we are saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. By Christ alone. That's what salvation comes through. We add nothing. We bring nothing to the table. And Paul's writing saying, these teachers have to be called out because we cannot lose the purity and the beauty of the gospel. He's writing against legalism. This idea that somehow I bring something to the table. 
Somehow I can add something to salvation. Somehow I can even live my life in such a way as to earn the, the favor of God when it's Christ has done it all. He's completed all. Uh, my hope is only in Him. I, I, that's all I've got is Jesus. I bring nothing. So his purpose in this book is to make crystal clear what the gospel really is. And know this, one of the things our enemy loves to do is to create a counterfeit gospel. Something that has the name Jesus in it. It sounds pretty true, but it's not the truth of the word of God. And that's what he's writing to to in this situation. So in this one verse... We're dealing with one verse today. Paul is going to talk about who he is, his personal testimony. And then he's going to talk about how he lives his daily life. So what we're going to see today is this. Who we are, how we live. Pretty simple. Who we are, how we live. First, who we are. Paul says, I have been crucified. The cross is central to the Christian faith. You cannot have the Christian faith without the cross. The cross is the key of everything we believe. And here he says, I have been crucified. You see, in the cross, we see the character of God. We see that God is both loving and God is just. Sometimes those are a hard tension to hold, that God is both loving and he's just. You see, if you leave here today and you're driving home and you Step on the gas pedal a little too heavy, trying to get to lunch maybe before the crowd gets there. And you get pulled over. You probably will not be rejoicing that you got pulled over. You will not rejoice in the that's about to come your way. In fact, you will look at that cop and think, I'm sort of upset with you. Why did you pick me to pull over? There was other people going uh, speeding. You're going to want to talk your way out. of it. You're going to do all you can. You're not going to be thinking, I enjoy this. But here's what you will know deep down. I was speeding This is justice. We recognize justice. And here's what Scripture teaches. In uh, Romans 3.23, it says, All have sinned. That all means all. No one's excluded. That all of us have sinned. We all know that's true. We have not kept the standard that God has set before us. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. That we deserve death. That's the right, just punishment that you and I deserve. Our world likes to think we deserve good things. Basically, most people are good, therefore good people deserve good things. Scripture teaches that we're sinful. And that the wages of sin is death. That's the truth. And this death, one, it's a physical death. We're all physically dying. We're not getting better. Our bodies are decaying. We can exercise. We can take vitamins. We can uh, diet. We can do all sorts of things to try to prolong and slow down that death. But the truth is, we're all, 100 years from now, none of us will be seated here. That's where we're all headed. But he's not just talking about a physical death. He's also talking about a spiritual death where we die and we're eternally separated from God. That there's a death occurs for the wages of sin. Yet in the cross, we see that Jesus comes and pays the price for sin. He takes the death that you and I deserve on the cross. And he said, if you'll repent, recognize your sin, 
Call it what it is, agree with God, it's sin, and you'll turn from it and go to Christ and trust him as your hope. Then he says you'll be a new creation. He'll redeem you, he'll save you. You'll be a a new creation reconciled to God Almighty through Christ. It's nothing you do, he did it all. And in that, we see the beautiful, gracious, amazing love of God. That our God, yes, he is just but he took, the ju- he took the punishment that we deserve upon himself to reconcile us to himself because he loves us. So when Paul says he's been crucified, the cross is central. We cannot miss the beauty and the majesty and the glory of the cross. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says this, But he was pierced, meaning Jesus, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is an Old Testament prophecy talking about what Christ was going to come to do, that he was going to come to take our transgressions, to be crushed for our sin. We see God's love in that. Christ experienced condemnation. We receive salvation. Christ experienced death. We receive life. He received justice, and we received mercy and grace. That's the beauty of the gospel. And he says here that Christ, who is perfect, sinless, did not deserve to die because of love, because of the glory of God, stepped forward to satisfy the justice that God required. And it says that he has been crucified with Christ. Paul, notice this, Paul views himself, not literally, but in some very real way of being with Christ on the cross. When Christ died on the cross, there was a part of Paul that died. And when Christ died on the cross, there's a part of us that died. We were with him. That our old nature, the old man, this flesh. You see, when you become a Christian, everything about you is new. You are a new creation, is what Scripture says. You're born again. You're different. Everything about you to do except one thing. We still drag around these bodies of death. That's what scripture calls it. It calls our body a body of death. We still drag these around and these bodies of death crave sin. They crave the broken world. And they pull us back to that. But on the cross, the power that sin has over us was broken. Christ's power is greater. And Paul knew that. That's why he said, I no longer live. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 6, verse 5 and 7. He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died is set free from sin. You see, as a Christian, we live what's called a crucified lifestyle. That the old person has been crucified. The old person is is gone. What, What does that mean? It means that God's word and his spirit have mastery over our lives. That he is Lord. It's uh, that the daily fleshly desires that pull at us each and every day, our flesh is pulling at us, that we don't allow those to, to, to rule, that we're not pursuing those, but we're dying to those. I was meeting with a couple in our body a few weeks ago, and uh, 
this couple had come to saving faith in Christ in the past year to year and a half. They told me about their life before and how they were pursuing uh, money and wealth and all the things that this world had to offer and hoping for, to find meaning and hope in those and, and in their social situations and, and all these things that the world has to offer. But he said the wife, she trusted Christ first and the husband began to notice she's different. Something's going on different here. It's not the same person. So he began to come to church and he trusted Christ. And now they're both going, we're not the same. Our marriage, it's different. Our social world, the things that we used to want to do and hang out with, they're different. The values at work, what I'm pursuing at work, working long days, long hours to earn as much as I can, that's not what I want to live for any longer. When we interact with our children, it, oh, it's all changed. Why? Because a new creation, they're, they're different. Christ has transformed them. He's changed them. They're experiencing dying to the old self and Christ living in them and they're trying to figure out how do we do this? Everybody knows the old self but there's a new person here. Christ is here living in and through us. You see, this impacts, this is very practical, it impacts our marriages. It impacts our, our family lives. It impacts our works. It impacts our, our social circles. This, our life has been crucified. Our old self is crucified. Now we live with Christ. Paul says this. He says, it's no longer I who live. So get that. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now what is, here's what he's referring to. Before Paul became a Christian, he had a more impressive resume than any of us. In Paul's day, he had the most impressive resume of any Jewish man. He had been trained in the best schools, been trained by the best mentor, Gamaliel. He had uh, the right family, the right practices, the right citizenship, everything. His resume was spotless. And he was rising quickly in the ranks. And what Paul says is, that guy, that old self, that lived for the things of this world, that lived for myself, that lived for my own glory, my own fame, that guy's dead. It's no longer, he doesn't live anymore. Christ lives in and through me now. He's different. The old self-centered life I lived died when I came to Christ. You know what? This is to be normal. This is to be normal for the follower of Christ. This is the normal Christian life. We're not talking about something that's alien. No, for the Christian, this is how we live. And that's what Paul says. He says, and the life I now live in the flesh. So here's what Paul's saying. We still, when we become a Christian, we still have a life to live in this body, right? We still have a life to live in this flesh. We're not immediately going home. I've heard some say probably the most merciful thing you could do is when someone comes to Christ is baptize them, hold them under water, and send them on to glory. But we raise them up, right? That'd be crazy to do that. We raise them up, right? Because... They've got a life to live in this body until God sees fit to bring them home. How do we live the life in this body? He says this, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the believer still has a life to live in this body, and there's a tension that we experience, a very real tension that all of us battle, all of us struggle with. This world struggles with it. 
You see, when Christ defeated Satan on the cross, the power of sin was broken. But sin's still in this world. When Christ returns, it'll be done away with. But until then, sin, though sin has lost its power over the believer, it's still here in the world. We're still going to struggle with it. That Christ, when he came, he brought in the kingdom of God in the hearts and minds and lives of believers. But the kingdom of God is not here in its full until he returns. That this world that's broken and aching longs for the return, that we live in this, what's called the already of our salvation, already that we are a new creation, but not yet fully. The kingdom's already here, but not yet fully. Sin has been defeated, but we don't experience that in its full just yet. And that's the tension we live with. And that's why Paul says, get this, he says, he lives by faith. Last week, Antonio talked about this. He says, for it is by grace we have been saved through faith. That it's grace through faith that saves us. Faith has the power to save, but it also is what we live by. When we say Jesus is our Lord and Savior, he has saved us through faith. He's our Lord through faith. That we both are saved and reconciled to God through faith and we live daily by faith in Christ. In the um, well-known book turned movie, turned play, it's been turned about everything it can be, uh, Les Mis, Victor Hugo wrote it. The, the main character is a guy named Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean, in, in, in this story, he is, his family's starving, he needs food for his family, so he goes and steals some bread. For that action, he's thrown into prison for five years. Well, he tries to escape over and over again and ends up staying in prison 14 years. And when he's released from prison, he has a stamp on his uh, card that shows that he's been in prison. So he can't find work. So Jean Valjean steals some silver from the bishop of the city. Well, he is caught stealing the silver, and the police bring him to the bishop of the city and say, we've caught him stealing the silver. And the bishop says, no, I gave that to him. And actually, he forgot the silver candlesticks. Here, take these as well. That the bishop didn't just show him mercy, meaning letting him off the hook. He gave him what he didn't deserve. He gave him grace. He gave him the silver to go. And as a result of this one act in that story, this one act totally transforms Jean Valjean's life. He goes from being a self-centered, self-focused man to living sacrificially, to being different, to being transformed. He's repentant, he's honorable, he's sacrificial, and his whole life is lived in light of that one act of grace. You see, it's faith that not only saves us, but it's grace through faith that we live by. When we taste and we know the grace that we've been given, we live daily by that, that we're forever changed by the grace of God. You see, what Paul's talking about here is really actually practical. That we live by, the life we live in the body, we live by faith. You know, most of our lives, we only have a um, few major decisions we make in life. If we really think about it, there's not too many major 
big decisions we make in life. Most of our life is, is a series of day-to-day little decisions. They seem very mundane. They seem very simple. They don't seem like the huge decisions that we've, we've got to put that much thought into, but it's in those day-to-day decisions that our character, that who we are shows. And it's in those day-to-day decisions that we continually have to say over and over again, I'm dying to self so that Christ might live through me. I'm dying to self so that Christ might live through me. I'm going to remind myself of the grace I've received through Christ. And we continually remind ourselves and live in light of the gospel on a daily basis. You see, we all battle with this me first pride. I was laying in bed one night this week, and I don't know why I was thinking. I just kept thinking about how the actions in my life, so many of them, they all just seem focused on me. Even even so much of the good I do, it seems to be about me. It it all seems to come back to me, this self-centered pride that we have. We have to remind ourselves, the old man's dead. I must die so Christ can live through me. All these little decisions that we come to day after day, the, the, the bitter thought that we have towards someone, the anger that we have towards someone, that, that quick moment of lust as we go to the pool, the, the nasty report, the impatience with a loved one, all of these decisions that we make day after day after day. That's where we die to self and allow Christ to live in and through us. You know, it's interesting, Paul says we live by Christ because here's the thing. We live by faith. You're never going to get this right. That's a little bit discouraging. We're we're never going to fully get to a place where we've got all this figured out and doing well. Even though Christ has defeated sin, sin's presence still remains. We live in a world with many temptations, and the war still battles within us. It's like one of those, uh, if you go to an arcade, have you ever seen the game Whack-A-Mole? Where a mole will pop up through the hole and you hit it with a mallet. And as soon as you hit that one, the game is to try to hit another one. And then you hit another one, and then two will pop up, and then three will pop up, and you're, you're trying to whack all these moles and, and knock them down. And sometimes I feel like that's how I'm doing with sin. I'm just trying to, as soon as I deal with one, I see another area of my life where pride and selfishness have risen. And you're trying to knock all these down. And, and what we see is we're dead. We're dead to sin. We have to, the only way we can live How Christ called us to live is to continually live in light of the truth of the gospel that we are a new creation, that the old person is dead. My fear, both for myself and for us here, is that we will leave and try to make a checklist of, I'm going to beat this sin, I'm going to beat this, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to be more selfless. Because if we try to do it in and of our own power, if we try to live the Christian life in our flesh, when you try to live the Christian life in your flesh, it turns into legalism. Because you're doing it for your own glory. You're doing it for yourself. It's only as we die to self and live for Christ this begins to happen. Tell me, there's so many times in my life where I've really tried. You know, I'll be like, I'm I'm trying to, to really live for Christ. I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to be a, a better husband, trying to be a better father, trying to be a, a, a better co-worker. And I'll look and I'll go, that didn't go so well. But I sure felt like I was trying, but I was trying in my flesh. I wasn't dying to the flesh. 
I was trying to whip the flesh and make it do what I wanted to. No, you die the flesh. The flesh is dead so that Christ can live in and through you. So that he can reign and rule in our lives. This flesh is always going to rear its ugly head. That's why it's not a grand one time. I've died to it. When I became a Christian, I died to my flesh. Check, done. It's a daily. Paul's saying, I've died to Christ on a daily basis. He has died to his flesh so that he can live through Christ. Back in October, I went up to Iowa to work with, uh, I was going to be doing some teaching and training with a mission agency. A few of us went up there. And I, I stayed in the house of this man who was in his mid-60s. And he began to tell me stories about his life. And as he told him, I was just fascinated. This guy was born in South Africa, the son of American missionaries, and had grown up in apartheid South Africa. So he would tell me all sorts of stories about apartheid South Africa, and I was just fascinated. He said, well, hey, tomorrow when we go back up to the school, my father will be there. I'd love for you to meet him. So I went to the school the next day, and I saw his father. His father was this 95-year-old man who had spent the majority of his life in apartheid South Africa, planning churches, doing mission work. And now at 95, he comes to work every day, sits down at a cubicle in front of a computer, and writes Bible studies that go out to missionaries all over the world. And as I met this man, I don't know if you ever met people like this, but there's certain people I'll meet and I'll just see the presence of God. This is a person who's been walking faithfully with the Lord for so long. God has done something in them that he does over time as a person dies to self and lives for Christ that you just sense it in them. And he had a picture over his desk. And it was a picture of this tribal man. And I just asked him, because it was front and center, right over his desk. Every day he would see this picture. And I said, who's in that picture? And he said, that's the man who killed my brother. And he said, now, he's my brother. Because that guy had come to Christ. You see, at the same time that this man named Ken Fleming was leaving for apartheid South Africa, aboarding a boat in the 1950s, his little brother was getting on a boat to go to Ecuador with his good buddy Jim Elliott. And they would go down to Ecuador his little brother named Peter Fleming, with Jim Elliott, and him and three other people for a total of five guys would go in to work with this tribal group of people known as the Alcas. And they were known for their revenge killing. They were known for their savagery. No one had ever been able to reach them. And these five men went in and on a riverbed, on, on, a, on a beach along a river in the middle of the Amazon jungle, these five young men would be speared to death. It's one of the most recognized missionary stories in the past hundred years. Jim Elliot would write the Pauline-sounding words of, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And this 95-year-old man kept the picture of the man who had killed his little brother over 60 years ago above his desk and saw it every day. And it was a reminder for him of the grace of God that can transform even a murderer like that, that God's grace can reach anyone. And he asked me, he said, hey, I've got a book I wrote from the journals that my brother kept. So I said, I'd love a copy. He signed it and gave it to me. And it's just a real simple book. It's called Peter Fleming, A Man of Faith. 
And nearly every chapter has in its title something about faith. Because what I realized as I read this book was that Peter Fleming didn't just lay his life down in some one grand event there on that beach. But every day, in his journal, you see him talking about dying to self so that Christ can live. Day after day after day, that's how this man lived. Dying to self so that Christ can live. That's my hope for us. You see, most of the problems in my life all boil down to right here. A person who lives for themselves. The issues in my marriage, it's my selfishness. I'm not dying to self so that Christ can live in my marriage. The issues with my parenting, I'm not dying to self so that Christ can live in my parenting. My issues with the people I work with, I'm not dying to self so that Christ can reign and rule in that. You see, it's the daily decisions where Christ reigns and rules in our lives. Where God transforms us. And know this. Here's the beauty about living this way. Is it's both for God's glory and for your good. To die to self is for your good. To die to self is for God's glory. So that Christ might live in and through you. And he'll receive the glory and you'll experience the joy of living that way. We're about to take communion. And one of the neat things about communion is each week it should be a reminder of exactly what we've talked about. Communion, you come forward and here's what you remember. Christ died for me. He died for my sin to reconcile me to God. He died to, to make me into a right relationship. That's why we see the tables open to those who've trusted him. That we come and remind ourselves of that. But not only do we do that, it's a time for us to get right with brothers and sisters, people that we've offended. Because we go to people and say, hey, I've been living for myself. You see, our pride never wants to confess that we're sorry. Our pride never wants to confess that I was wrong. And in communion, we're reminded that we need to go tell some people at times, hey, I've done you wrong. I've been wrong. I confess it. And before I go and celebrate that Christ has reconciled me to God through Christ, I need to be reconciled to you. So this is an opportunity for us weekly to die to self so we can live through through Christ, that Christ would live in us. So we're going to take communion. We'll celebrate what Christ has done for us. It's something we celebrate not just once a week, but we celebrate day by day, moment by moment. It should be the heartbeat of our lives that have died to self so that Christ can live in through me. Let me pray. God, I do thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is true, Lord, and I pray that if there's anything in my brokenness and fleshliness and that I've said that's less than the truth of your word, that it would fall on deaf ears. Lord, but... I can have confidence that your word won't return void, that your word will accomplish exactly what you want. So I pray that the truth that we have been crucified with Christ is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Life I live in the Bible by faith in the Son of God, that that's how we would live, knowing that you loved us and you gave yourself for us. Or if there's any here today, actually I'm confident there are some here today, and they've never really been reconciled to you. The old self dominates. To speak of dying to the old self is just an effort of their own. 
Lord, I pray that they would agree with you that they are sinful, that they would confess their sin, and they would turn to the only hope for this entire world, to Jesus Christ and trust him, and that you would make them a new creation. If there's any here today, Lord, I pray that they would consider Jesus, that they would trust Jesus, that you would transform them and renew them. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do its work. Lord, we thank you that we get to celebrate the body and blood given and broken for us to reconcile us to you so that the old self might die and you might live in and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of our elders and ministry team will be up here. If you need to talk to somebody, we'd be happy to talk to you.